Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 26th. It was a great day for the top seats at our two ATP tour-level events happening this week in Basel and Vienna. Now, for what it's worth, there is a WTA 125K event happening this week. Of course, countless ITF events across the globe as well. That said, we're going to focus on those two tournaments in Basel and Vienna as they each factor into the race for the ATP Tour Finals. As we established on yesterday's show with Nate Walrith, there are really three guys competing for the final spot. Now, there have been five players to officially clinch their berths. You have Carlos Alcaraz, Rafael Nadal, Stefano Tsitsipas, Kasper Ruud, and Novak Djokovic, each assured a place in Turin. Daniil Medvedev, Andre Rublev haven't clinched their spots, but they're sitting pretty comfortably as well. That said, Felix Ogier-Aliassime, Taylor Fritz, Hoopy Hercots really competing for that final spot, and that makes it a fun week for us tennis fans as each of them competing in this week's ATP Tour action as we established at the start of the week. 25 top 30 players in play here. It's the final week of October. Can't ask for anything more as a tennis fan. As such, just want to reestablish why we are focusing on the ATP Tour on this show this week. That's said, the story of the past day and a half, which is what we'll be recapping here on this show, has been the success of the top seeds. In particular, Carlos Alcaraz, another definitive victory over Botic van de Senschkull. Perhaps what was most impressive is how routine he made that victory look. Alcaraz was not at his best and yet able to get through pretty unblemished in straight sets into the Basel quarterfinals, of course. Similar stories for Stefano Tsitsipas Daniil Medvedev, they advance comfortably. Now, Hubi Hercots and Felix, they were each tested, and perhaps those tests are indicative of their positions in the race to the year-end finals. You look for Felix, very tough opening match for him against Mark andre Hussler. That said, Felix threw in straight sets his ninth consecutive victory. He's been exceptional. Want to break it down with a little bit more depth for all of you listeners today. Hubi Hercots was fantastic once again in a three-set win over Francis Tiafo to advance into Vienna. Uh, in Vienna, I think that match happened yesterday. That said, we haven't talked about it yet on this show, so want to offer some of my thoughts here today. And then, you know, we did have a couple of ups- upsets. Kasparud already clinched his spot in the year-end finals. He was knocked off by Stan Wawrinka. How did Stan manage to do it? We can discuss that. I also want to talk, lastly, about... I don't want to say the rise of Denis Shapovalov because that would be hyperbole to the max, but after a year of ups and downs, he beats Nadal, he loses whatever it was, nine out of 10 consecutive matches. He is playing now, Denis Shapovalov, just well enough for me to be enticed and be back in on the Shapovalov, I don't want to say bandwagon, but just buying stock in his game moving forward. The 23-year-old just epitomizes athleticism every time he steps on the court. And yes, it has been an inconsistent season, but to see the consistency of Shapovalov level to end this year. It's very encouraging. I want to explain why here on today's show. I guess it's always good to be Canadian when it becomes the indoor hardcore portion of the season, but both Felix, Dennis having success. I know I talked about them last week. I'm unfortunate, or I don't know if unfortunately is the right word because 
they their success dictates we continue to talk about them again here on today's show with that said again the agenda setting the scene for the upcoming days in basel in vienna of course the reason we're able to do that day in day out here on this show is because of the support we get from all of you listeners we're immensely grateful so many of you tune in day out day in day out that's how that phrase goes we're also very grateful to all of you who have taken the time to leave a review on itunes or leave a message to us reach out to us publicly on on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We love interacting with our Crack Rackets community. We hope to continue to do so. And hopefully we're providing the sort of content all of you listeners are looking for as we wrap up this 2022 season. Of course, we'll stay busy this offseason. Yes, the tennis tours may come to a brief hiatus, but the action never stops. And we'll talk about it all here on Crack Rackets over the course of the past year. Th- past the next again English might be a struggle hopefully it won't be over the off season as when there's less tennis on the court what can we do but have conversations have the sort of arguments to discuss what the big storylines are going into the next year anyways immensely grateful to all of you Cracked Rackets fans who continue to tune in I'm so nervous I'm screwing up my English if you can't tell with that said of course another shout out to our dear friends at Tennis Point for their day in day out support they understand the necessity of providing a daily podcast to tennis fans to keep up with all the action. They also provide you with the best equipment at the lowest prices. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off all sale items. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Tennis-point. Simple, not the spelling. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into it. Here's what's happened over the last 36 hours in the pro tennis world. We'll start with the ATP action in Basel. And yes, I know Carlos Alcaraz, world number one. He's in action. Typically, that would be the storyline that leads a podcast. But I have to start with Felix Ogier Aliassime. I know we talked a lot about Felix to start this week. He's coming off of a second consecutive ATP title. And now he's won nine consecutive matches as Felix earns a very impressive 6-4 victory over the wild card Mark andre Hussler. Now, I understand from a rankings perspective, this victory not that impressive. Hussler 62 in the rankings entering the week, but let's remember, it was a month ago that Hussler worked his way to the title in Sofia. He beat recent ATP Tour champions in Lorenzo Musetti in the semifinals, Holger Runa in the finals. And look, I would want no part of the big serving 26-year-old lefty indoors on a hard court. He just has non-negotiable weapons. I know that's been the in-form term of late here at Cracked Rackets, but I know Felix has struggled with his return compared to the rest of his game over his career. Obviously, Hussler has the sort of game that can make those struggles more pronounced and look against anyone. That said, not even if, you know, not only a Felix, but a Runa in Alcaraz, even Schwartzman, Hussler's going to get off serves that are just going to be difficult to deal with. The big lefty hits the uh, brilliant slice out wide on the ad side that just opens up so much space on the court for his first forehand. He can hit all the spots on the deuce side as well. Slice T, flat wide. He has a sneak. Sneaky good flat T-serve on that ad side that he likes to mix in. That big first serve for the big lefty is what sets the table for the rest of his first strike 
tennis and you know again I think he hits the back court uh backhand cross court through the court very well and that allows him to move forward use his size use his physicality in terms of his aggression and the strength he possesses to get to the net comfortably to have success and he was able to do that pretty cleanly on his first serve in set number one. Hoosler not broken. Felix not broken. 7-6 first set goes the way of Hoosler, who connected on a couple of good returns early in the breaker to open up a 4-1 lead, hit a really good backhand passing shot as well in building that lead and was able to hold on to it the rest of the match. That said... And you look for Hoosler, who won 75% of his first serve points, 63% of his second serve points. It didn't matter. Felix was able to keep pace, even with someone serving as well as the rising talent in the 26-year-old Hoosler. Felix was just better on serve. Felix didn't face a break point throughout the course of this match. Wins 89% of his first serve points, 65% of his second serve points. For what it's worth, obviously that 89% first serve win percentage dramatic. He also made 68% of his first serves throughout the course of the match. And you look for Felix now during this nine-match win streak. And I understand it's indoor hard courts. You should have more success on serve than average when you're in such ideal conditions. But but you look for Felix now. I know it's only a nine-match sample size. I know none of these matches have come against top 20 players, although I would point out wins over Kasmanovic, Korda, Musetti, Evan, uh, Wolf. No one could argue they're playing poorly of late. You look for Felix. He's holding serve 95.3% of the time over this nine-match run. And again, I know it's indoor hard courts. He should serve at an elite level. That's what has always flashed as the elite upside for Felix. When his first serve is landing, when he's hitting his first forehand with his feet set, it doesn't matter where he is on the court. The weight of that first forehand will overwhelm every opponent that he faces. And that's what Felix has done so well throughout the course of this run. Now, I would also add in this match against Hussler, loses that first set breaker, doesn't hang his head. What does Felix do to start set number two? Breaks right away. Draws a couple of first strike errors from Hussler with better depth than expected on the return. Dips a low one at his feet when Hussler tried to serve in volley. Goes up a quick break. Again, doesn't face a break point in set number two. Then four all was actually the most impressive game Felix played. Four all in the third set, I should say, where, as I alluded to on Sunday, it's not great. But Felix is getting better from a fluidity standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, from when his backhand is pressured in a corner. Felix just generates better depth than he used to. And perhaps most emblematic of that fact, the passing shot he hit by Hussler down the line on that backhand wing to earn the final break 4-5-4. But he also played good defense early in the game and drew a couple of, you know, fifth ball, sixth ball errors off of Hussler after he was able to extend rallies. And look, whenever he got a look at his forehand with his feet set, Hussler was stretched and Hussler's hitting a slice, a little bump into the air where now Felix has his set again from an even more advantageous uh, position, his feet set, excuse me. And... Uh, the forehand, the serve, continue to look elite. I've mentioned it before. I'll mention it again. You look for Felix now here this season. It's the fifth consecutive year he's improved his hold percentage. He's up to 85.5. That's a top 15 number. He's winning 77% of his first serve points. That's a top 10 number. He's also making 64% of his first serves. You look at the tour average of a top 50 player this season, uh, a, the tour average 63.7%. So again, 
he's making an above average amount of first serves and he's winning them at an elite rate. That is how you get someone who becomes top 15 in hold percentage and it just sets everything else up that Felix wants to do. And look, you win back-to-back tournaments. You have, you look in the rankings, I think it's a 300-point margin on Taylor Fritz. Let's see, right now he's up 315 points on Fritz, 410 points on Hercots. Would have been understandable for Felix to pack it in. You know, Hoosler in front of a home crowd playing as well as he did in Basel. Inform lefty can pepper serves to that Felix backhand over and over again. On paper, it was a bad matchup and a schedule loss that would have been understandable for Felix. But what does he do in this race for the tour finals? He continues to carry on. He earns the victory, ninth straight win into the round of 16. You look for Felix now overall this season, 49 and 24 overall on the year. He's sniffing 50 victories for the first time in his career. It's the most wins he's had in any single season. You look for him now overall on the year, those 49 wins, second, uh, third, excuse me, only to Alcaraz and Tsitsipas. I meant the figurative second only to, but third to Alcaraz and Tsitsipas for what it's worth. I know he had bad slams to end the year, but I'll continue to say it. Felix got better this season. He didn't win a slam, so again, we're going to discuss in December whether he is or isn't eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation, but three titles here this year, he answered that question, made a couple second weeks at the slams, played a really fun match with Rafa at the French Open, a surface that he has had the least amount of success on in his career. I'm not selling any of my stock uh, on Felix uh, of Felix Ogier-Aliassime, and I feel like I've been an early stockholder. And even if he's eliminated from the greatest race of all time, he's still one of my locks to win a slam by January 1st, 2030, because when his first forehand, first serve is in rhythm, he's just going to be competing in every match that he plays. And again, he's only 22 years old. Three more years of getting a little stronger, a little more fluid in the corners, hitting the backhand with that much more depth. I'm still buying stock in Felix. So if you want to sell it, I'm over here. He's tier one for me as we move into the next decade. And there has been nothing I've seen this season to dissuade me of that position, even the losses to Draper and Cressy at the U.S. Open and Wimbledon, respectively. That said, Felix into the round of 16, where a date with Miamir Kasmanovic awaits. And for what it's worth, Kasmanovic, 2-1 and one in his career, head-to-head against Felix. These are two guys who would have competed frequently on the junior uh, circuit. You look, they're actually 2-2 two and two career head-to-head. Interesting, Davis Cup was left out of that equation. Felix beat him about a month ago, 3-4 and four indoor hard courts in Davis Cup. Kasmanovic's two wins coming on outdoor hard courts in Miami and Cincinnati. Felix, for what it's worth, also a clay court win at the Lyon Challenger back in 2018. That's a very fun matchup. And shout out to Kesmanovic, a very nice three-set victory over Davidovich Fokina coming off of a disappointing semifinal where he got off to an early break lead. But then, uh, you know, Musetti just smoked him the rest of the way. That's a nice bounce back all against what is always a tough test in Davidovich Fokina. And so it's a very fun round of 16 match. Again, October 27th, it's going to be Felix versus Kasmanovich, and it's round of 16. Yeah, sign me up for that. That sounds absolutely delightful, of course. You look at some of the other results we saw on the day in Basel. Just a routine victory for Carlos Alcaraz as he advances 4-2 and two over Botic Vandesen Schkulp after the tough round one win over Jack Draper. It's just nice to see 
Alcaraz in command. He dominated behind his first serve when he was able to hit forehands from advantageous positions. You look for Alcaraz now overall this season. You remember that he's 19 years old and his 54-11 and 11 record, 83% win percentage, becomes that much more laughable. He's one of the seven guys to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. Excuse me, six guys to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage this season. That list, Djokovic, top 10, Medvedev, top 15, Nadal, Alcaraz, Zverev, and Fritz, interestingly, top 20. Then you got six guys who are top 26. I did top 26 because Cranio Busta is 26th in break percentage and RBA is 26th in hold percentage. But I think both of these guys belong in this advanced analytics darlings conversation because it just acknowledges how solid they are week in, week out. That said, Alcaraz has been elite for 10 months now here this season. And to do that at 19 years old, just remarkable. Botic couldn't hurt him. And even after going two love down in set number two, Alcaraz didn't lose another game. He refound his composure, refound his rhythm, now into another quarterfinal here this season. And for what it's worth, you look now for Carlos Alcaraz quarterfinals overall on the year. It's his 11th, 11 quarterfinals. Tsitsipas, Rude, Rublev, Felix Alcaraz. I think that's the list of 11-plus quarterfinals here this season. It's ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. 19 years old. And again, might have arguably had the best statistical season of anyone this year. I know that wasn't deep analysis of the Botic match. Botic had some chances. You know, hit the forehand well. Absorbs the inside-out forehand of Alcaraz as well as anyone can with his backhand, but Alcaraz overwhelmed him. The drop shots, the physicality, Alcaraz, Alcaraz, a really impressive victory for the world number one in uh, in Basel. In terms of the unseated players who impressed on the day, by the way, uh, well, we'll get to him in a second. I'm going to just pause myself in that tangent as we stick around in Basel for a little bit because it was a really fun round of results throughout the day. Quickly on Arthur Rinderknesh, fourth consecutive quarterfinal. All of them have come on indoor hard courts. I forget where they all were. Tel Aviv here, a couple others as well. But again, four quarterfinals for him since the U.S. Open now during this indoor hard court stretch. Helps to be 6'5", 6'6", have a massive first serve, hit the first forehand with the aggression and the precision that he does. But the real wrinkle has been the volleying. Rinder Kinesh is not only a willing volleyer, he is a good volleyer. The drive he possesses in hitting his first volley, you just have to hit a really tough passing shot if he doesn't already have hit that first volley for a winner. I am so impressed by the 27-year-old former A&M All-American, obviously a guy we know well here at Cracked Rackets, into the top 50 for the first time in his career, up to a new career high, number 42. Guess what? You're getting into Indian Wells. You're getting into Miami. Main draw, baby, if you're Arthur Rinder and obviously you're getting into main draws of slams as well. A good run at a slam. Now maybe you're seated at the French Open. Wouldn't that be special for the Frenchman? Uh, Shout out to Rinder Kinesh, who has made the most of this advantageous portion of the calendar. Shout out to Olga Runa as well. Last week played maybe the match of the week, one of the matches of the year, if you're a nerd, against Alex Diemenauer. This time it was business. Runa, a 2-5 and five victory to advance over the seventh seed here this week. It's a tough draw for Demon. Boy, am I impressed by Holger Runa, who came out with the aggression he found at the end of set two and throughout set three of last week's match. And, you know, you look for Runa today, fought off all three break points that he faced. I just thought it was a little bit harder for Demon Hour to generate 
pace than it was for Runa. In particular, it felt like the Demon Hour backhand consistently sprayed, perhaps most emblematic by the backhand he misses, going big down the line on match point. Runa got a little tentative at the end, but his defensive skills are that refined. And again, 19 years old, another guy we talked about a lot on Sunday, Holger Runa now, uh, currently sitting at number 23 in the live rankings. That's a career high for the 19-year-old. One more victory, he'll leap Musetti up to number 22 should he somehow win the title this week. Now he's 16 in the world. Six. I mean, again, he's going to end this season top 25. Indicative of the rise of Holger Runa, who would be the defining breakout young player of the year in any other year that doesn't include Carlos freaking Alcaraz. What a win from Holger Runa. The physicality, again, so impressive. Uh, Albert Ramos-Vinolas, he just worked Musetti, who got a little too tentative. Musetti came out firing, as he has over the past week, but... Then Musetti, uh, then Ramos Vinolas had Musetti six feet behind the baseline at all times. Did a really good job sneaking forward. Musetti a three-set upset victory over Musetti. That said, you know, Ramos Vinolas, good win. Musetti's played a ton of tennis of late. I'm not going to hold that one against the young Italian who's currently sitting at that new career high of number 22 in the live rankings. Very much needed win for Ugo Umbert, the Frenchman who, of course, was up to as high as number 25 in the world. Fell out of the top 100 earlier this season and through a combination of challenger success, now some 250 success, qualifying success, the 24-year-old back up to number 87. You get into the Australian Open, you get to play 250s indoor hard courts to start the year. That is a good place for Ugo Umber to be to just reset things at the start of 2023. He has done a great job rebuilding his form, doing it the hard way over the course of the past six months. We see you. We respect you. Dominated Brooksby, one and four. Jensen's definitely struggled a little bit and just doesn't seem to, again, have a way to make life easy for himself. And on an indoor hardcore, Ugo and Bear's going to hit the huge slider out wide, going to go after his big forehand. Brooksby gave him Bear too many chances to do just that. And look, Jensen is a counterpuncher. Jensen is a guy who's going to hit to the open space, make you earn everything, but you're going to have chances to play big against Jensen, and the best players are taking advantage of those chances really well this season in 2023. So again, how Jensen makes life a little bit easier for himself moving forward, that will define his ceiling. Uh, The last match on the day, obviously the one that ended so late and why I'm recording this podcast so late here on Wednesday. I'm also still buying all your Dom Stricker stock. Stricker ultimately a 756764 defeat to fifth seed Pablo Carreño Busta. Good win for the Spaniard, who again is one of the 12 players to rank top 26 in both hold and break percentage this season. He took the legs out from underneath. Stricker did a great job capitalizing on an early break chance in the third. That said, again, I said this with Nate yesterday. I'll say it again today. Watching the young lefty how smooth he is moving around the court, how instinctual he is in everything he does, how concise and it's just, again, efficient the backswings are, how easy it is for him to generate pace, his willingness and success moving forward, the touch he possesses. When he gets into top 100 shape, he will no doubt be a top 50 player. If he gets into top 50 shape, watch out ATP Tour because he has non-negotiable weapons. So you look for Dom Stricker. For what it's worth, he has quietly risen up to 115 this year. New career high for the 20-year-old. Again, I feel about him going into next season like I did Runa going into this season where it's like, yeah, he's going to make his top 100 debut. That's not the question. The question is, will he make a top 50 debut next year? And it depends what the next 
eight weeks look like for him? Because if he goes hard in the gym, and I'm not questioning his work ethic, I've been around him, he puts in the hours, it's just about growing into a man's body, I'm encouraged for Dom Stricker moving forward. I just think it's going to work. And so, again, when Stricker makes a top 50 run, listeners of Wednesday, October 26th's mini break will be like, I was prepared for it. So good win from Carino Busta, but keep an eye out front for Stricker. That said, some of the other results that may have happened of late that you missed are... You know, Murray, we mentioned it yesterday, 4-1 down. He earns that three-set victory. Good win for Stricker over Cressy yesterday as well. But the big upset was Stan Wawrinka, 4-4 four four, over the second seed, Casper Rude. And I suppose this will be our final match talking about Basel. Rude was just too passive. He was just rolling balls to the Wawrinka backhand over and over again. And that's not the way to play Stan. You know, you think he hasn't had his backhand challenged throughout the course of his career? Every player he's ever faced has tried that strategy. You need to get Stan stretched. You need to find ways to play through Stan's forehand when he's on the run and, you know, not allow him to set his feet because when he has time on that backhand wing, he's so unpredictable. His ability to obviously drive it line is always a threat you're worried about, but good action on his cross court as well, whether it be the short angle or the drive. He can play the slice comfortably and Again, Rude was just too passive. And, you know, Stan takes advantage of two poor service games, in particular for Rude. I mean, emblematic. He misses the approach shot at Love 40 to get broken for 5 4 in the second set. But emblematic's the word of this podcast, by the way, clearly. Um, Look, it was a good match from Stan. He was really patient. And I get what Rude's strategy was to try and make it physical, to try to take the legs out from underneath Stan, but it didn't work today. And Stan hit too many balls from predictable locations on the court. Rude didn't attack with his forehand and didn't wasn't over eager as he can sometimes be in the best way possible in finding forehands from the ad side of the court and working the inside in forehand with the effect that he usually does. Now Stan pushed him back with the weight of his shot, but Again, the ball was there to be taken early, and it was just a passive performance from Root. Now, again, does it change my thoughts about him heading into next season? Absolutely not, but just wasn't the best day at the office for Casper Root. With that said, you look at the draw now uh, here, or at least the tennis abstract singles forecast uh, for some of these matches, and who's predicted to win Alcaraz now with the elimination of Rude, a 43.6% chance, according to Tennis Abstract, to win the event Felix Ogier-Aliassime, 16.7%. Your highest percent chance to advance to the final on the bottom half, Holger Runa, who they're given a 23.7% chance. Render Kanesh, 21.3%. Uh, Bautista Agut, 19.4% in the bottom half of the draw as well. So they see Alcaraz or Felix. They see the winner coming out of the top half. Obviously, that's something we'll keep an eye on. Alcaraz, Carreño Busta is not the worst quarterfinal, by the way. And for what it's worth, because I have it open, and you look at the odds for tomorrow's matches. Bautista Agu, minus 175 against Andy Murray. Murray, 16-3 and three now in first-round matches this season, but 7-8 and eight in second-round matches. You'd lean RBA. That's a pretty light number. You can probably get the game spread minus 2.5 games. Yeah, minus 2.5, minus 120. Second time, they're a little low on RBA than they should be here in Basel, and that makes me suspicious, but Murray played well, wasn't outstanding in his first round match. So I'd lean towards the favorite, but take the over. Probably kick my feet up. Just going to enjoy that one. Bublik, minus 390 over Ramos Vinolas. Bublik shouldn't be minus 390 against anyone. Felix Kesmanovic, Felix the minus 270 favorite. We'll see how much he has left in the tank, but 
had two days, two full days to recover from last week's run, and is still 22 years old, so I think he'll be fine. Nakashima Ravrinka is fun. Nakashima minus 130 favorite. He should beat Stan tomorrow, so that's a really fun match, and that's maybe a money line you grab. Runa minus 195 against Umber for what it's worth, according to Tennis Abstract, the closest match tomorrow. Tsitsipas, uh, oh, excuse me, that's the Vienna draw. The closest match tomorrow in the uh, draw in Basel, according to Tennis Abstract, would be RBA Murray, RBA a 57.7% favorite. Interesting, Felix, 71.2% favorite. That is fairly comfortable. With that said, that's your action in Basel. Let's look now at the action in Vienna. Obviously, another very fun ATP 250 event happening this weekend. This really was a day where the top seats thrived in Vienna. I don't have much analysis to add, so this will be shorter than the Basel segment. But Medvedev cruised 2-2 two and two over Nikolas Basilashvili. Vasilevsky slapped his way to those four games, but Medvedev was in complete control, absorbed the first strike, got him stretched, was able to turn his plus one aggression on when the big serve presented its opportunity or Vasilevsky was on the stretch. I mean, the the biggest takeaway for me is that Medvedev looks healthy. And for a guy who's, sit, who's probably going to be one of the eight players competing in the year-end finals and has a big opportunity to just remind everyone in the crowd. I know Djokovic is going to be at that event. We don't know about Rafa yet. But after what was a disappointing couple of exits to Kyrgios, not bad, but disappointing from his perspective and not the hard court summer he would have wanted. Uh, I'm looking for a big week from Medvedev in Vienna. I actually think he's the favorite to win the title, even if his quarterfinal potential matchup with Sinner will be very, very tasty. Speaking of which, Sinner, 3-2 and two over Green Again, more than anything, he just looked healthy. And after rolling that ankle or whatever it was against Musetti, that's the best thing to see. 3-2 and two over Green. Sinner let some opportunities go early, but his forehand was the biggest weapon on the court, overwhelmingly so. Tsitsipas went down an early break to Dennis Novak, but ultimately 7-6-6-2. Tsitsipas advances in straights, and look, he's played a lot of tennis of late. Astana, did he make the final, semifinals there before losing to Djokovic? I think he lost in the final after beating Rublev. Yeah, that's correct. Um, 6-2, and two, the weight of his first forehand on these indoor hard courts when he lands a first serve and just has his feet set. You're losing the point. It's a non-negotiable. Tsitsipas has played much better to end this season. I was impressed with his win and his level down the home stretch. A really good win for Marcos Giron, who has just sort of steadied the ship. And you look for Giron now actually sitting at 55 in the rankings after an up-and-down start to the season. You look at this post-U.S. Open run, final San Diego, round of 16, he owned before a really tight three-set loss to team. Uh, Now another round of 16 at this 500 event in Vienna. Uh, three set loss to Sebi Corda in Antwerp. Corda obviously goes on to reach the final, um, or the I think it was the final, the semis, whatever it was. Um, yeah, Giron should be a top 75 player in the world. And just by steadying the ship here at the end of the season, making that final run in San Diego, his first tour level final, he's done exactly that. And now we get a battle between two former college number ones as Giron, a former NCAA singles champ, going to take on former TCU All American and. Seventh seed, Cam Nori. Nori, an impressive three-set come-from-behind victory over Pedro Kachin in round number one. The big match I do want to break down in 
Vienna or at least talk about this player once again is Denis Shapovalov. Shapovalov, an impressive straight set victory over Yuri Rodionov in round number one. And then three set win for him, 6-1-4-6-6-3 over Taylor Fritz to advance to the quarterfinals. You look for Shapovalov, again, after the long losing streak he suffered uh, after beating Rafa earlier this season in Rome. You look for Shapovalov. The numbers was indeed 9 out of 10 matches heading into Cincinnati. Well, again, he really has steadied the ship since Cincinnati. You look for Shapovalov overall. The numbers are actually pretty solid since then. 13-5 and five now into a quarterfinal for, uh, I believe, the fourth time. Yeah, quarterfinals in Seoul, Tokyo, Stockholm, now here in Vienna during this 13-5 and run. He's holding serve 86.3% of the time. That's above the tour average here this season, uh, which for what it's worth, you look at this point of the calendar, 82.3%. So not only is he above the tour average, that 86-plus number would be a top 10 number on the ATP Tour. You also look at the big number for Denis Shapovalov during this stretch of time, and obviously he's been successful, but he's breaking serve 23.4% of the time. That is significantly better than his 18.4% over the last 52 weeks and is 0.1% better than the top 50 player average of 23.3%. So he's holding serve at a top 10 rank, would be a top 25 club member right now, one of just the 12 guys you could say that about, or I should say would be one of the 11 guys you could say that about because RC, uh, PCB and RBA are both top 26 club members. It's just enough to be a reminder of, oh yeah, Obviously, the best version of Shapovalov is when he's hitting the big first serve, showing off his combination of speed, strength, power, athleticism, pop, all the adjectives you want to say. When he's playing on his front foot, hitting his forehand with his feet set again, the weight of that shot is overwhelming. He can spring through his backhand. He's comfortable as a volleyer. Elite quickness as well. Again, the power of that first step is what allows him to be so fast. The problem is sometimes he gets slap happy. Obviously, there will be the five minutes. I actually think Shapovalov and Arena Sabalenka. Sabalenka is a better version of Shapovalov, but it's not the worst comparison to make for the 23-year-old. And what we've seen over the last month and a half is just steadying up the ship of him being willing to grind a little bit until he has the shorter ball to attack. And even if he misses that shorter ball, you know, understanding that that's the proper point construction for him moving forward and... Look, the game I would point to in this match, Shapovalov comes out cruising. Fritz has not did not play well this week in Vienna, and obviously this is a tough loss for him in that race to the year-end finals, particularly with Hercot and Felix both still being alive. But Fritz wasn't moving well. You know, outside of really hitting the big first serve to draw a return error, he wasn't having much success, particularly in the third, finding ways to just win any point. Um, and yet Shapovalov, you know, it was three— uh, it, Fritz took a long injury timeout, 2-3 at the changeover, and that does factor in, of course, but Fritz gets out to a 40-love lead, and Shapovalov fights that lead off, and then sees a couple of break points evaporate off of a couple of sloppy errors, but continues to grind his way into the service game, and ultimately 
gets a break of serve he requires, holds on to that break the rest of the set, you know, runs away with things from there. It was a disciplined Denis Shapovalov who earned that three-set victory over Taylor Fritz. And again, you look for Denis here this season. He lost nine out of 10 matches at one point this year. 30 and 22 overall now is holding at a top 15 rate, 85.4% of the time, but is breaking serve just 17.9% of the year. It's not great. And 30 and 22, 58% win percentage to lose. Let's see, overall in the year in terms of first matches of events, he lost nine first round matches throughout the course of this season. Now, for what it's worth, again, uh, seven of them came in an eight match stretch, but that's not great for Denis Shapovalov. And yet he manages to just stick around the top 20 catch fire. And now for Shapovalov up to 17th overall in the ATP live rankings, you look for Shapovalov. He's actually one of uh, 16 players include, or excuse me, he's one of 15 players, including the players who have clinched, who's technically still alive in the points race. Now he needs a title this week, a title next week, and really to have some luck the rest of the way as Felix is like two wins away from surpassing him uh, or to a point where Shapovalov couldn't catch. But for now, he's still alive. And again, I, I was impressed with Dennis, uh, who continue again, a, a fourth quarter final for him here as he rounds out his season has played much better since the start of Cincinnati. And you just, again, it's well enough that you see what he looks like at his best when he can serve at an elite level. The pop he's able to generate combined with that underlying athleticism, only 23 years old. How can you sell stock this early? I'm, I'm invested for one more year, but you know, again, we'll talk about this in the off season. I think it's a make or break year for Shapovalov in 2023. I can't, I just, if we do another stagnant season, then there are so many other young players that it's hard to make the argument that he's higher than tier two at best uh, moving forward, just because of how many great players there are, even if the ceiling for Shapovalov is still probably, maybe not as high, but it's up there, you know, with anyone out there on the tour. That said, very impressive three-set victory for Dennis Shapovalov. Not very impressive because he didn't play great in the second set, but impressive enough to advance into the quarterfinals in Vienna. Now, for what it's worth, I alluded to some of these results, but yesterday, Cam Nori, 7-6 in the third over Kachin. Dimitrov, 3-4 and four win. Boy, did he needed his first since the U.S. Open over Montero. Good win for Rusevori. Uh, for what it's worth, good win for Shapovalov. Valov, a needed win for Hubi Hercats, who you look overall 7-6-3-6-6-3 win over Tiafo. Talk about two guys who can just do everything on the court. You want a little grinding. You want some drop shots. You want some ridiculous athleticism moving forward, tracking things down and outstanding, unflinching hands at the net. Big first serves, dominant, you know, ace first strike tennis. You got all of this in this Hercats Tiafo matchup. And, you know, again, for Hubi in the race to the year on finals, he needed it to keep pace with Felix, who's coming off of back-to-back 250 titles. Great win for Hubi in Vienna, obviously, indoor hardcourts, a place where a guy who has held serve about 90% of the time this season, you'd expect him to have success. Now, it's going to be a tough matchup for him in the round of 16 as he's taking on the aforementioned Emil Rusevori, but... Rusevori doesn't hit the biggest serve, doesn't have the ease, you know, hit the pace he hits with the forehand, it could overwhelm Hubi's forehand in this match. But how does Rusevori handle the fact that Hubi will hit the big first serve, move forward to that, constantly keep Rusevori on the run, the break percentage uh, success that Rusevori has had negated by someone who serves as well as Hercots does, particularly on this surface. So uh, that's a fun one to monitor, certainly in the round of 16, but a good win for Hubi Hercots. And then... You know, again, 
maybe a late one of these late year match of the year candidates, Dominic team, two, six, seven, six, seven, six. He comes back, knocks off Tommy Paul, Tommy serve for the match, either five, three or five, four in the third set. Tommy played great. He really did. Tommy was unreal. The level he played in set number one was top 10 level and taking that six, two first set and just taking every ball a little bit earlier than team expected and flashing that elite athleticism, the elite improvisational skills to go along with the fact that he is a very comfortable volleyer moving forward. And yet again, you look for Tommy, got a little passive in sets two and three, but man, team just came up with some magic, whether it be the backhand down the line pass uh, on the return he hits in the third set breaker, whether it's just, again, his, I believe he faced two match points in the third set breaker. First one, he fights off with a big first serve. Not much Tommy could do there. Second one, Tommy sprays on a backhand. Yeah, he wants that backhand back, but team just sticks around. He matched Tommy's physicality, who a little bit like Kasparud was kind of looking to take the legs out from underneath team, but this Vienna crowd powered team through, and you saw that in the emotion of team following the match where he falls to his knees after winning a round of 32 match at the Vienna Open. I think that speaks to what he's been through over the past year and a half. I think that speaks to, again, the level he's found here to end the season. I've gone through the numbers before after losing his first seven matches here of the 2022 season. You look for Dominic Team now to end the year a very tidy 23-11 and record since those seven straight losses. He's refound his form, and you look for team now by reaching the round of 16 here in Vienna. Dominic team, I believe, one victory away from re-entering the top 100. Indeed, if Dominic team can knock off Daniil Medvedev in the round of 16, he'll get back to the top 100. Now, that's a tough ask, and I do think Medvedev's going to knock him out, but... Hey, that's a fun one for all of us to enjoy. And for what it's worth, Team 3 and 2 in his career over Medvedev, including obviously his win in the 2022 U.S. Open semifinals on his way to his lone Grand Slam title. That said, that is your action that's happened thus far in Vienna this week. Now, once again, I have the Tennis Abstract open. I have, oh, I mentioned, I forgot to mention Dan Evans. Very comfortable 2 and 2 win over Hatchinoff. It was a weird result for Hatchinoff, particularly given how well he played in his round one win over J.J. Wolf. That said, again, a bunch of fun ones. I mentioned Team versus Medvedev. We'll see how much Team has left in his legs. Sinner going to take on Francisco Sarundolo. Uh, Sarundolo 1-0 in that career head-to-head, but obviously Sinner looked very much like a guy who belongs at the year-end finals in his round one victory. Rublev Dimitrov, Rublev 3-2 career head-to-head. That's fun. Garon Nori, Garon's played really well of late. And again, in the college ecosystem, Nori's going to respect Garon more than the rankings might indicate. Rusevori Hercot's great. George Tsitsipas, Cincinnati final rematch in the round of 16. Yeah, sign me up for that. Really good matches. For what's worth, Tsitsipas minus 245 favorite. Medvedev minus 400 favorite. Again, Hercot's only minus 160. I think that's notable, as is Nori's minus 230 as of right now, according to Tennis Abstract. It is not Daniil Medvedev. It is Yannick Sinner, 19.5% chance of winning the event, according to Tennis Abstract. Then Medvedev, 16-7. Rublev, 15-3. They're all in the top half of the draw. After that goes Stefano Tsitsipas, 14.6%. Obviously going to have to get through Borna Chorich first. That said... 
That's where things stand right now in our two ATP 500 events in Basel and Vienna. Of course, we will be back over the next two days to keep you updated on everything happening on the ATP Tour and keep you monitored uh, in that chase for the year-end championships, of course. Speaking of championships, we're going to have one of them available for all of you tennis fans on our Crack Rackets YouTube champion uh, YouTube channel, that's how you say that word, over the course of the next week as starting next Wednesday, the ITA Fall National Championships come to our Crack Rackets channel. It's going to be so many of the top players in the world competing for that final fall crown. Who might the next Cam Norrie, Marcos Giron, Arthur Rinder Kineshes of the world be, Danielle Collins, obviously Jennifer Brady as well. You can find out by tuning into the action on our YouTube channel. Again, that starts next Wednesday. Be on the lookout for more information. Information and a shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job he does day in day out making all of our content possible shout out as well by the way to our friends at Tennis Point for their support remember it's tennis-point.com the promo code is CR15 with that said for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff our friends at Tennis Point and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin you know what we say That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.